Welcome everyone, you are listening to the Art of Touring podcast. This is an interview style podcast where I talk with musicians, performers and sometimes wrestlers. I am your host, The Sizz Dog. Thanks for joining me. I have had an awful week this week. I've been suffering from a terrible ear infection, which just won't go away. But uh, I did get a pretty cool message this week, which brightened my day, um, which I'd like to read on the podcast this week. I've never done this before. Um, I receive messages from listeners uh, occasionally, sometimes through Facebook. Um, but this one kind of struck a chord with me. So I was in the vein of like, you know, Mark Merrin. Not to say that, you know, my podcast holds a candle to Mark Merrin, but if you do listen to his podcast, he does this quite a bit. He he gets emails from fans, and um, this is the first one that I thought, oh, this is cool, man. So, you know what? Take of it what you will. This is what um, was uh, read sent to me this week. Uh, James wrote, G'day, Sis. My brother put me onto your awesome podcast uh, last week. And whilst driving around southeast Queensland this week between appointments selling wine, pretty good gig, uh, I have greatly enjoyed your work. My band supported Electric Mary last Wednesday, and I have indulged myself on all things Electric Mary since, including your double podcast with Brett. Uh, tonight, I also checked out uh, the Pass Outs and Smokestack Rhino. You were a man of many talents. Keep up the shining stuff. Regards, James. So there you go. The podcast is reaching more and more people. Thank you, James. Um, it was really cool to hear some positive feedback about the show. So James, if you're listening, uh, shoot me over your uh, postal address and I will send you something in the post as a thank you. This week on the podcast, I caught up with Nat Allison. Uh, Nat and I had a wonderful chat. Nat reveals a brilliant story about when, uh, in her early touring days, she played a show up in the snow and there was no mic stands provided. So the bartender came up with a genius way for the band to get through the gig. Art of Touring is brought to you every single Tuesday. You can listen to Art of Touring on iTunes or on the Google Podcasts app on your Android device. Um, and remember, Art of Touring is part of the A Lot of Green podcast network. And you can check out all the other awesome podcasts on their network at www.alotofgreen.com.au. There is some coarse language in this week's episode, so if you are listening with the kidlets, it might be a good idea to throw on Barbie Princess Power and then once they're dropped off at their guitar lessons, throw Art of Touring back on. Now let's take a moment to hear from this week's sponsor. Episode 47 of Art of Touring is brought to you this week by Murph and the Magic Tones. Are you looking for a lounge disco band for your next function? Then look no further than Murph and the Magic Tones. Their brand of laid-back, chilled-out lounge disco tunes will make any event one to remember. Thank you. You're marvelous. You're marvelous. Thank you. I'm Murph, and these are the magic tones. Steve the Colonel Cropper, Donald Duck Dunn, Willie Too Big Hall, and Tom Bones Malone. 
We'll be back with the Magic Tunes for the Armada Rooms two-hour disco swing party after this short break. Till then, don't you go changing. Just so you know, Art of Touring is hosted by Wooshka. If you'd like to listen on your desktop, you can just Google Art of Touring and follow the links to the Wooshka homepage. Before I get into my conversation with Nat Allison, I'd like to play you some of her music. This is a track called In Your Honour. Check it out. go there's just a little taste of nat allison with her song in your honor it does get into a pretty rad solo but you have to buy the track to hear it guys i'm not going to ruin it for you now let's hear my conversation with nat and i'll be back at the end for some concluding comments check it out Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the Art of Touring podcast. It is a beautiful, um, cold-ish night in Melbourne. We've definitely deserved it because it's been so hot recently. And in the studio tonight, I am joined by Nat Allison. How are you, Nat? I'm great, Dave. Hey. Yes, Dave, <laughs> sis dog. I don't mind. I'll answer to anything. Have you had a good day? Uh, it's been good. Um, I, I was saying earlier to yourself and your partner that yeah. I, I was uh, struggling to wake up a little bit today but <laughs> yes. other than that it's been there's been nothing wrong with my day well we are recording that. this on a monday so you know musos can definitely relate if you're waking up after a gig it's rough yeah yeah some mondays i can be just raring to go i love mondays because monday's my day to do all the admin and sort yeah. everything out and get on top of all that after the weekend sure and often i'm you know i'm pretty excited about mondays but today yeah, this the old brain wouldn't, wouldn't, you know, switch, wouldn't on. switch on. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, well, my Monday was crazy um, today because it was first day back at work um, with all of the kids because I'm a school teacher. And uh, they just put in a new person in the role of timetabler. And this bloke had been doing it for 20 years and he's gone and now they've got a new guy. And, oh, mate, God love him. He's, it's too much work for one guy. We don't know how the other guy did it. 
And so it's like a school of like 2,000 kids plus, you know, almost 300 staff. And he's it's up to one guy to sort out all the timetable. Oh, that would be a hell of a job. Yeah. And so <laughs> this morning I'm trying to mark my role. There's, there's four kids that aren't even meant to be in my class. They're running around the school trying to find where they're meant to be. It was chaos. But wow. I'm sure in a couple of days it'll all blow over and everyone will be locked in. So, yeah, yeah that was my Monday. Um, oh, well, there you go. Uh, so, Nat, first things first, where are you from? Where did you grow up? Uh, well, I was born in Melbourne, and then uh, when I was very young, my dad moved us to a town called Chewton, which is just outside of Castlemaine. Oh, yeah. And um, it was just my dad and I. Dad brought me up. Uh, Mum lived in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. So we lived there for quite a few years, and then I started playing guitar, and then we moved back to Melbourne when my guitar playing started evolving. Dad thought I would be a better place yeah. to be to nurture to pursue the, that yeah yeah to move back to melbourne so i've always lived mostly on the south sorry the north side right. say coburg preston that kind of area. area yeah yeah hmm. um what was the name of the town did you say that you grew up in chewton chewton yeah that's a Tell, really interesting about age name. 10 or something like that nine ten. Oh, and then you moved back down to melbourne yeah right and yeah. so wow so you picked up the guitar at what age like six or seven or um, I think I was about nine. Right. I must have been about nine, so we might have moved here when I was ten. Yeah. And what was the catalyst for your guitar playing? Like, did you have a family member that said, hey, check out this, or, like, where, where did it come from? Do you know? There was no one in my family. Mm. Dad always loved music, and he, he sung quite a bit around me in his, you know, Croatian language. Mm. But um, I just was always fascinated by guitar players on the TV, when I was growing up, yeah. the lead guitar player was as much of the front person as the singer. Yes. So I'd be glued to the TV whenever there was music videos on or a music program, mm. um, and I'd just be in awe of the guitar player. And I just went, I just want to be that person. Ah, there you and go. Bugged, bugged my father for years and years. Yeah. I want an electric guitar. I want an electric guitar. I want an electric guitar. Yeah, he and finally, finally caved. He said, oh, okay, she's serious about this. Yeah. <laughs> And um, that's when when it all started. Isn't that interesting? Because I um, now doing this show for you know a few months now. When people do ask, or when I ask the question, you know, where did it come from, and you know, when do you start playing? It's never. I've never heard the response. Oh, I asked for an instrument and I got it immediately. Mm. No matter what the instrument <laughs> is, it's like I asked for an instrument, and then for years and years of bleeding, it's yeah. like. Finally, they cave. <laughs> Even something as innocent as a guitar. Now, I mean, drums, I get it. As a parent, yeah. having someone bashing a, a drum kit, I, I would assume, yes, would be They'll annoying. They'll try and put it off for as long as possible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's what happened for me. I said, I want to be a drummer at five years old. My mum said, wait till you're 10. And, and then at 10, I said, mum, I want to be a drummer. And that's how I, you know, started my yeah. music gear and everything. But um, it's that's bizarre, you know, still even something as as uh, as quiet as a, as a guitar. Yeah. I know, and you can turn them down. You yeah. can even turn them down, man. Yeah, it's not like you're asking to play the trumpet like yeah. you know how loud would that be forget about it oh great and so your first instrument when when he first bought you the, your first instrument wasn't an acoustic or an electric uh, an electric i was very specific i said ah. I, i'm not going to have an acoustic right <laughs> it had to be an electric because you know again all, all those people i watched yes in, in bands you know they were shredding away on, yeah. on electric guitars that were down on the floor on their knees and all that you know great 80s Mm. 80s stuff. Mm. And what kind of electric guitar was it? It was just like, you know, Samick or something or, or did he, you know, shell out it, for a Fender or? No, it was a 
Torch Vintage Series Stratocaster copy. Ah. It was my first guitar. So, yeah, my first few guitars when I was first playing were then, – then later I think I got a Les Paul copy. Yeah. And then after that it was, you know, proper Gibson Les Pauls and Strats and yeah. that sort of thing. But, right. yeah, they were just copies when I first started. Do you have – do you still own any of those entry-level guitars or they're all gone by the wayside by now? They're all gone, but yeah. I think I've still got my first amp. Oh, really? Yeah, I think I've still got it. It's just this tiny little tiny practice little, amp. Yeah, yeah, combo pra- practice amp. I think it's at my sister's in a cupboard somewhere. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I – I mean, because my mum was a guitar teacher, so there was always guitars in the house. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was pretty rad. Um, I, I spoke about it on my episode, episode 42, and, and how I thought it was daggy. I never really liked guitar growing up because yeah. it was something my mum did, you know. Mm. Um, but uh, because of that, she always had guitars, and my older brother played instruments, so there was always his bass guitars all around. So um, to me, I was always kind of spoilt when it came to musical instruments. I didn't really have that, like desire like oh except for a drum kit because no one played drums yeah that's probably why i gravitated yeah. towards it really to make sense now um there you go <laughs> and so you move back down to melbs um and you continue your schooling um because you obviously did primary school but you had to continue primary school in melbourne where did you move to when you came down here the uh, at that first time uh we moved to upfield which is basically broad meadows yeah so not the wasn't the greatest kind of area to move to but when you move from the country you know you sell a house there it's not as worth as as much as places in Melbourne so Mm. we moved to Upfield and um I was going to Upfield Secondary College right um started it was year seven year seven there oh so you actually graduated primary school and then straight into high school and in Melbourne yeah I had I think I had a few months of high school back in Castlemaine yep and then we made the move Right on. Yeah. So, it, well, and that was a a wild move, you know, yeah. going from a country school to, uh, yeah, school in Upfield was big change. Pretty full on. <laughs> yeah. How did you find yeah. like? Because obviously you'd made friendship groups already in your in your country town school. Were, were you able to like adjust pretty easily, or was it a bit of a teething period at first? Um, I I did adjust pretty easily in the yeah. end, but I was. I was kind of a nervous young person, so mm-hmm. I was very, very nervous about it. Yeah. But I did. I ended up adjusting pretty easily, which was oh, good. which was good. Yeah. yeah. Um, and obviously, you brought your guitar playing with you, and you re- had really only been playing for a couple of years at this point, um, because yeah, you're seven, you're twelve, thirteen years old, um, and were you playing? Did you get to play like as soon as you got to? Um, secondary school? Did you join any of the bands or ensembles? Did they have a music program at the school? Or? Uh, they did, yeah. yeah. They had um, they had a music teacher there um, and we did, I did end up joining the school band actually. I f- forgot about that. Thanks. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and we used to practice at lunch and, yeah. and, and things like that. Um, so it was good. And, and that, that band, I met some other kids there, um, older, another older um, guy like in year twelve or something like that. He played the saxophone, and his mm. drum, his brother played the drums. So we did kind of made a school band outside of the school as right. well. So we sort of did that. We rehearsed at their place once a week and nice. did a few little odd little gigs. Yeah, right. Did that band Just, ha- have a name or? Yeah, it was called the Renaissance. Oh, cool. I don't know how. I don't know how we came up with that. That's great. That's <laughs> I probably, actually you know, really cool. 
flicked through the dictionary and went, oh, we'll take that one. That's not, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have even known what it meant at that time. At that point, yeah. Well, you just, all you knew it sounded cool, right? Yeah. Yeah, the Renaissance. Far out. Um, and so that didn't take long. So that's what, year seven, year eight, you meet some of the older kids and you form a band and you start doing what, like the regular like birthday parties outside yeah. of school, those kind of gigs? We did. Um, we played one gig at the at a pool uh, during some summer, somewhere around, somewhere around on, on the north side, we played a pool. Yeah. Um, we did some birthday parties. I think one of them was mine. Yeah, love it. <laughs> we played at the local town hall for, I, f- I think, their sister's birthday party. Oh, like yeah. Like a big one, maybe a 21st or something like that. So, yeah, little things like that. Nice, yeah. So, you're yeah. able to cut your teeth um, not only in school but outside of school, kind of seeing what the scene is like um, playing live music to, to different audiences. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, by this stage, you started buying or you are getting, um, you know, like, yeah, when, when did you actually get to upgrade your guitar from, like, the the entry-level model to more of a serious instrument? Um, probably when I was around 13. Yeah. Um, started to frequent a shop called, used to be called Billy Hyde's in Flemington. Mm-hmm. I think it's now called GH Music. I know the one, yeah. We, we went there quite a lot. Dad actually sold our house um, in Upfield mm. and uh, we moved to Preston and he used that money to help starting to, to pour some more money into my equipment. Nice. So, yeah, that's kind of when the upgraders start, started to happen. Yeah, and yeah. Fender, I think my first um, really good guitar was a Fender Strat. Nice. And then, yeah, they started coming after that. Yeah, yeah. That's the one guitar that I, I mean, as a singer, I own way too many guitars. I think I own like 13 guitars. Yeah. Um, but that is the one guitar that I've, I do have in the house. I have one of them, but it's not mine. It's my brother's. I've just kind of yep. stolen it off him. Mm. But it's but that is like I was trying to say. It's one that I never have actually gone into a music store and it like kind of sung to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's always been a, a Tally or a Les Paul. Or a, yeah. A, 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 yeah. Strat has never been one to kind of call out to me, unfortunately. But um, hopefully one day because I, I I do love playing the Strat. Mm. Yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah, that, it's kind of one. It was like my first really good guitar however it wasn't one that stuck with me either it didn't really yeah, didn't right. feel right yeah. once I got onto the Les Pauls it was like okay that's it there you go it hangs really well yeah it plays it feels good well I was having a look at some of your YouTube clips <clears throat> if we can kind of fast forward for a moment and you do sling the axe very low and that's yeah. just where it's comfortable like it's always been like that low it's always low yeah and probably yeah. when I was younger it used to be even lower really but I, I couldn't probably play it that low anymore to be a bit uncomfortable <laughs> yeah right <laughs> yeah no well it's still quite low um yeah. and i yeah I, i've never been able to have it like too high or too low like i, I kind of like have it right what am my kind of hip bone area yeah. especially the les paul when you're playing the, the les paul right on your hip bone if you haven't got much you know fat on you i've had bruises on my hip <laughs> bone just because of the les paul is so big yeah and, and it's chunky. heavy so yeah. heavy oh my god but you get jump around a little bit and you get yeah get definitely get some bruises yeah <laughs> yeah guitar player problems right <laughs> fantastic oh there you go and so um did you ever, um, were you ever in the pit? Like, did, did your school ever do musicals and did you have to play, like, music, like reading music in the pit or was it always just kind of ensemble bands and stuff like yes, that? Yes, mostly bands, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did, we did do some school concerts, but it was more kind of just up up on stage as a as a band. And yeah. I've, I've never really, 
um, I never really learnt how to read music. Mm-hmm. Can read charts and uh, chord charts and all that sort sure. of thing, but yeah. reading music, I never really um, got into. Unfortunately, it'd yeah. probably be quite handy if I I knew it now. Tell me about it. I mean, I'm a music teacher, and I'm that's the one thing that I wish I was better at. You know, because mm. like you, I can read a chord chart. That's no problem. But um, and I can do the basic notation. <clears> you know. Crotchets and quavers and whatever else, um, but as as a, as far as like you know, circle of fifths or you know what keys something's in, I'd have to really try hard to figure it out. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So, but um, uh, hasn't held you back, Nat. I wouldn't worry too much about it. <laughs> yeah, I've got my ears, so That's it's it. got me through so far. <laughs> exactly. You know. But being, a lot of- but being in a pit, you know. I probably wouldn't get that gig. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um, and so when did you actually start writing your own music? Because that's um, that's something that, well, that was how I was introduced to you. Um, I think if I can remember, it was the Evelyn, the first time I saw you performing, supporting Erwin Thomas. Okay, yeah. Like on a Wednesday night. Yeah, I used to play the Evelyn quite a, quite a bit, so yeah. most you probably would have been there. Mm. Yeah. But, I mean, that's a bit of uh, – we'll get to that eventually. Um, but, yeah, when did you start writing your own tunes? In in high school or not till you left? Yeah, I, I started writing some some stuff when I was pretty young, thir- probably around 13, I'd say. Mm. But it was pretty terrible, terrible music. I, I didn't know what I was doing. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, at, that, at that point in time, I didn't have anyone to kind of help or, or show me how to go about it. Yeah. Um, you know, with arrangements and formulas and – do yep. things that you learn along the way. Mm. Took a little while for it to finally click, um, and you know, until you start working with other songwriters that are are really good at it. Yeah, yeah it took me a while to get a hold on it. Yeah, it's strange, isn't it? Like we're, as a as a music educator, like it's always like learning the instrument and how do we do that? Well, we learn other people's tunes. It's never like, well, this is a C. Figure it out. Just mm. do something with it and make it your own. Like, it's most like, no, this is the song. This is how it goes. Yeah. You know, it's uh, a songwriting course doesn't really, you know, come into it, um, at least when I was learning, mm. you know. Um, there you go. Uh, okay, so, yeah, and you – I mean, that's similar to my story. You know, I was in bands, you know, in high school, and, again, I was just kind of writing tunes by myself, and then um, Will Starbuck, um, the bass player in – the band when by the time I got in year eleven, he was writing songs as well. So we would actually write together a little yep. bit. But again, they were terrible. Like, <laughs> you, know, like you know, you, you at that point there was Silverchair on the radio, and they mm. were our age, yeah. and they're killing it. And yeah. I'm like, we could try and do that, and we tried it, and it was just rubbish. <laughs> you know, like sounded like a bad Silverchair Pearl Jam Nirvana knockoff. Like yeah. you know, I mean that was pretty close what they were doing, but they were killing it. You know mm. what I mean? Ours just sounded even worse than that. You know. Um, and so with your guitar playing, you mentioned um, that you had your guitar heroes growing up, but who was the band like in high school that you were like, oh, this is great? Like, Who did you find yourself playing the most? Um, I probably listened a lot to Jimmy Page. Cause it, um, when, once I started playing and, mm. and we moved to Melbourne, we met some other older musicians that I started playing with. Yeah, um, They introduced me to to bands like Zeppelin and then Jimi Hendrix and that, that sort of thing. So mm. I really... I always loved – Jimmy Page is probably one of my favourites. Yeah, right. Hence probably why I like the Les the Paul Les so Paul. much as well. There you go, yeah. And do you play through a Marshall as well, like the Les Paul-Marshall combo? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 nice. Yeah. Far out, man. Yeah, I mean, my, my old band, we used to do a whole lot of love as like the uh, – 
um, encore. Oh, sorry, the final song. Mm. You know, um, and it was always so much fun. Yeah, I know? love playing that one. It's great. Yeah, I can't. I can't play it on guitar, but I love singing it. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so so much fun. Um, oh, okay, that's rad. And so, yeah, you're learning these. Um, well, you're learning through, you know, the 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 guitar gods, really. Like the the artists you mentioned, Jimi Hendrix, you know, um, all those guys. Um, certainly a, a, a fantastic foundation. Um, and so then you leave school, and what happens then for Nat? Do you, do you go into work, or do you like? Yeah, did you go study? What did you do? Well, um, I left school at fifteen. Oh, really? Um, I don't. I started playing. When I was 13, I started playing in a, a band with adults that were probably in their mid-30s to, to, to my age now. Mm. Uh, so we, were, we had a band and we had, I had my first residency at a place called the Edinburgh Castle on Sydney Road in Brunswick. Yep, Edinburgh Castle. Back in those times, they you know, had it was quite a band scene mm. along, along there. Was that a cover band venue? Yeah. Oh, yeah, wow. they, they might have – it might have been – uh, an original band venue as well, but yeah, yeah. So that was a covers band that I was in, and uh, we had a residency there mm. on a Friday night. So that was my first residency, and I was doing different gigs while going to school. Right. And then at age fifteen, I think I'd finished year ten. Yes. And um, I, I I hated that school. It was horrible. Right. I, I couldn't learn there. Yeah. None of the kids were interested in learning, and I was doing quite a lot of gigs at that point, and. Dad and I sort of said, okay, well, you're not happy here. Like, you know, we'll just become a full-time musician. So wow. since then, that's kind of what I've been doing. <laughs> that's insane. There yeah. you go. Insane in a good way. Like, yeah. that's incredible, <laughs> you know. So um, I didn't make it all the way to the end of school. No, it's just, yeah, at the end of year 10, you were out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> playing in pubs, see you later. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so from 15, 16, 17, like how, how long did that, that band last with those musicians? Uh, that particular band was probably over and done with at that point at 15. Oh, okay. Um, I'd started playing, um, playing in a few other little bands and, and then created my, another new band. I think it was called Mama Said okay. at the time. Yeah. Uh, and we got with an agency at the time called... Um, they were called Rockbusters. Now they're called Australian Entertainment Services. Hey, yes, You've probably yeah. done yeah. some gigs with those yeah, you've guys. Yeah, you've got me a couple of gigs yeah. with them. Thank you, yeah. Um, and, yeah, so – and that, that band was, yeah, playing every week. Wow. And then evolved into another band called Explode. Right. was going for many years. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, and then a signed record deal when I was about 19, I think. Wow. So then that – all kind of changed for mm. a few years there. So you you you're going strong with the cover band scene, and then you signed a, a deal. Um, tell me how that came about. Um, well, I was thinking about that today, actually, my my dad kind of was managing me mm-hmm. um, as well, and I used to play. I uh, used to rehearse at a place called the Dane Centre in Brunswick oh, every yeah. week. Yeah. For the for the cover band. It's called. And, um, um, Wick. Yeah, what is it called? The Wick. Now? Yeah, that's it. It's the, Wick. the Wick. Now. Yeah, I haven't yeah. been there in years, but yeah. that was the place where we'd always rehearse. And, yeah, Dane Centre. And he, Dad, would always be, you know, talking to other musicians and bands that were were playing mm. in the other rooms. And everyone knew each other. And he's talking to, you know, my daughter, blah blah blah. Mm. And uh, they said, "Oh, Jaco, you should ring up Ralph Carr. He's, you know, 
worked with a lot of female artists and sure. that sort of thing and you know ring ring him up and you know see if you can get a meeting for Nat. Yeah. So he rang Ralph and said, my daughter, in his Croatian accent, she's a really good guitar player and singer and, <laughs> you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yeah. oh, this sounds interesting, a female, yeah. you know, not many female guitar players around. And yeah. and even though he had mostly um, pop artists at the time, yeah, uh, I think Ralph, he was always a real lover of rock music, so right. it kind of sparked his interest. Yeah. So we went in for a meeting, um, played him some terrible original music. <laughs> but that didn't seem to put him off, uh, <laughs> thankfully. Yeah. Um, and then it kind of evolved from there. He sent sent down his work colleagues to, to watch me play and they right. re- report back and said, oh, she's really great, Ralph, you should come down and see her play. So he came down. Yeah. Uh, I was just doing a solo acoustic gig. I wasn't doing band gigs as much mm. at that point. Um, I did just, yeah, solo acoustic gig. Covers. They came, yeah, just yeah. covers. I played songs like, uh, some, I did some Zeppelin, mm. Jazz Joplin, Hendrix, and and uh, he had his other colleagues there. And I, I was told this story, story later. Pierre just basically wrote wrote on a note and handed it to Ralph at the gig and said, "Sign her," kind right, of thing while yeah. I was playing the set. So that's kind of how it all, all came that, about. Yeah, yeah. And so, what was Ralph Carr's label? Who was he with? His label was called Standard Records. Right. So he was always. In the management scene, okay, and he'd, he'd recently created that, that label. label. So, yeah, I was signed to signed to that. Far out, and um, and then did he put a band together for you, or you were able to put some ba- musos together yourself and then write a record? Like, yeah, what happened next? Um, well, basically, the the songwriting side of things, I did a lot of co- co-writing with different people in the beginning. The demoing, I did a lot of. Uh, songs with um, Reggie Bowman out in Warrandyte, mm-hmm. um, Phil Buckle, Barry Palmer from Hunters and Collectors. Wow. And then um, once we are getting closer to album time, he thought it was a really good fit for me to do some songwriting and recording with a guy named Mike Chapman mm-hmm. who did like um, Susie Quattro Blondie and wow. wrote Simply the Best because he's worked with a lot with – Iconic kind of female artists. Right. I thought that would be a really good fit. So, yeah. um, we did that. I was sent over to the states to work with him, mm. and we made an album. And so, basically, we made the With album from scratch. Old. Yeah, something like that. That's it crazy. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, cool times. Um, going back and forth. Um, but the, in regards to your question with the band, I mm. put the band together f- for the shows after the album was made. Ah, so, okay. Yeah, we kind of just the two of us made the the record together. So when you were recording it, it was just like session people coming in and recording the parts and everything. Yeah, well, I recorded everything like the guitars and drums, and then we had oh, really? a we had a drummer come in later and do the drum parts. So oh, okay, we did a lot of just drum programming and that yeah. sort of thing while we're writing and and recording, and then yeah, we had a drummer come in and lay down the parts. Far out. Yeah, and. Uh and then it was off to the races. You, you come back to Melbourne, you had a record, you put your musos together, and did you tour the record or? We did a lot of shows. Mm. Um, did a lot of shows around like like the Evelyn, the SB, mm. did a uh, few festivals, played up in uh, Sydney. Oh, a so this was of around times. 2005? Um, no, it was. It would have been like 2000, 2001, oh, we were doing all these shows. Okay, cool. So all the record was made and we were doing shows and just kind of seeing how it was all going. Mm. Um, 
and uh, but it, the the album didn't end up getting released. Ah, oh, right. So that it was shelved. So, ah, which is a bit of a bummer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, a lot of the characters on the pod have, have told me the same story. Yeah. And usually it's because the person who was vested in the product leaves the label and then the label's left with this thing that no one else there had there, was behind, so it gets shelved. What, what, yeah. what was the, do, you, do you know the reason why yours was shelved? Um, well, basically, uh, Ralph needed to get a distribution deal. Yeah. Uh, so he had to go to other labels, bigger labels, to do that. Yes. Uh, and he wasn't getting the response that he needed. To make it happen. Yeah. And oh, so that's a shame. The record that they paid for and, you know, we made. Mm. And they were really excited about, the label really excited about. All the shows are really great and yeah. everyone was excited, but they couldn't get it, that next level Just to, to happen. That line, and yeah. so, yeah, it had to to be shelved. Bummer, man. And it's a bummer they, you know, just didn't, just that little bit of extra money just to release it themselves and see how, yeah. how it went. Like it's been paid for anyway. Why not just, yeah, put it just out? Just put it out and see how it goes. That's strange. But tell. How yeah, it, it was sometimes. really, it was quite heartbreaking. Yeah. Have you gone and yeah. since just released that material anyway or you, you're not able to because you didn't, like because it was co-writes and stuff like that or I'm not sure how that yeah, works. Yeah, the, the co-write side of thing is okay because yeah. um, they've paid for the masters so I wouldn't be able to use those particular recordings oh, of the song without, right, their, without permission their permission or... That's bizarre. Because yeah. they're I not doing anything with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you but, could re-record it if you wanted to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And they, years later, we did release um, one of the songs, Anyone for Tennis. Yes. They, yeah. I was watching that today. Yeah. <laughs> I love that song. <laughs> That's yeah. great. So that was one of the ones that you wrote back in 2000, yeah. which was, oh, was it used? Yeah. That's insane. Mm. There so, you yeah, there's lots of great fun stuff. But, yeah. You know. Well, at least you were able to still use some of that stuff in your, you know, later um, incarnations of the band. Yeah, exactly. And gigs I still and enjoy playing. All oh, that like, music and yeah, yeah. Oh, had a lot cool. of fun creating it. It was a great experience. So. Mm, mm. Well, a whole album's worth of material. I mean, you know, you could inject that into your set. Um, you know, like you said, like was it was it just anyone for tennis that you would usually go to, and then the rest were new tracks, or was there any other ones that you would, you know, use from that initial album that wasn't released? Um, I, I yeah, I played quite a few. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's from cool. from that album, we did more than an album's worth. Right. So we, I think we. Wrote and record about seventeen songs at that time specifically for that album to then bring it down to ten tracks, yeah, or whatever it is, pick and yeah. choose kind of thing. Mm. Oh, far out! So yeah, it was a, a massive body of of work because we it was from ground up, from you know, mm. <laughs> song through to recording. That's just yeah. it boggles the mind that they they go through all of the work to get that to happen, and then at right at the finish finish line, they go, oh yeah, no, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry about that, yeah. man. That sucks. But hey, look, you know, you got to write some rad tunes with some rad people. Mm. And like you said, you did some amazing shows. And also you were able to, you know, use those songs um, at your leisure in your later career. And so from that, um, you picked yourself up. And, and what was the next un- incarnation of the band? Um, the band, I probably didn't do a lot of... A lot of original gigs after that, right. kind of sort of semi-regular, Yeah. once every couple of months yep. for a few years there. Mm. Um, it was one of those things where you, you kind of, you, I was sort of put off 
for a few years. Sure, yeah. So it was just basically, you know, just doing my regular cover gigs, yep. paying the bills yep. and that sort of thing. Right. And then it wasn't for – I'd kind of write songs very sparsely. Yes. And it wasn't until a few years, quite a few years later that I got the bug to back for it again. get back on and do the original thing again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's probably where we um, – well, I my first memory of your band would be, and that would be around two thousand five, because yep. I'm pretty sure that was when Erwin um, Thomas was doing those residencies. I think it was like on a Wednesday night at the Evelyn. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, it was yeah. weird, but that was when they mm. he did it. I think it always was a residency, so that's not weird because that's when the residencies would happen on a weekday. Yeah, and um, me and my lady would come and, and see you guys perform. Um, and that was when, like, I was twenty five watching these bands and it was it was a very uh like a a formative experience for me because like how you were exper- you were explaining earlier how you know when you're a kid you're looking up to all these guitar players i found myself doing that in my 20s mm. i was watching guys like jack jones and yourself and you know brett wood who you know, was my mate but when he was playing i was always like you know like how are they doing that <laughs> you know yeah there wasn't too many things that vocally i could i would even though i i knew i couldn't sing like some people most of the time i wasn't really blown away i'm like okay well i know how to do that yeah but guitar was is Always and probably will always be. There's that magic fairy dust where I'm like, I'm watching a guitar, guitar play. I'm going, wow, wow, wow. I know. I, st- I still do that. Yeah, isn't it crazy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's a it's a great way to learn though. Mm. I, I always went when I was younger. I'd be going see as many bands as possible, yeah. and uh, it was just unbelievable. Yeah, it's a, it's a great way to learn Most definitely. through watching. Other people and you know and still learn too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there you go. And so then, um, yeah. Did you have any like experiences on the road in those early days that you could share with us? Like um, some, you know, something went good, something went bad. Like anything like that that comes to mind? Yeah, there's a few things that I've I've, I've thought of. I, I thought of this random story. Um, I probably would have been. I don't know, 16, yeah. I was playing playing with some friends in this band. I wasn't fronting it. I sang a couple of songs, but I was just, you know, one of the guitar players in the band was in the, the grunge days. So mm. we were playing songs like from Soundgarden to, to Zeppelin to Pearl Jam, yeah. their heavier stuff, and it was a really fun band. And we did this mini tour, um, and it incorporated two – Two snow mountains, I think it was Falls Creek and Mount Hotham. Mm-hmm. And then we did we threw in Albury and Wang, Wangaratta to make it worthwhile, something sure. like that. Yeah, yeah. And I remember, what, <clears throat> I think it was when we we got up to Mount Hotham, we're lugging our you know amps and, and drums and guitars into the venue through the snow, you know, slipping around and yeah, they they were to supply you know have the PA and all that all that stuff there, and we were just to bring out our personal gear because, you know, you're going up a mountain. Yeah, you're not going to bring a PA as well. It's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. We get there and they don't have any any microphone stands. Huh. Like, okay, so we've got guitars. We can't, you know, hold, hold, them, hold the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> so this young bartender, he was determined to help us out. And he's like, okay, so what's a boobin stand look like? And we explained it to him and the mic sits there and it kind of, you know, has this angle on it. Yeah. And um, he made boom stands out of two by four pieces of wood that were just what? hanging around outside and somehow we got through the gig that's insane they looked absolutely ridiculous, ridiculous yeah but 
We just gaffer taped the. Yeah, I think we got. We must have gaffer taped the microphone <laughs> to the wood. That and is it, brilliant. He, yeah. He just full like he just made MacGyvered it, it. Like yeah, that wouldn't happen now. No. You would get no help. <laughs> no right? Yeah, they're yeah. like, oh, you didn't mic stand, stiff shit. Yeah, yeah figure it out yourself. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is hilarious. Yeah. When you first started telling that story, I'm thinking, oh, there's going to be no PA here. But there was yeah. a PA there, just no <laughs> mic stands. Yeah, yeah, I know. Like, that's so bizarre. Exactly. They had everything else, but, yeah, it was really, really strange. I wonder why that was. Maybe all the other bands would bring up their own mic stands. I mean, I I do because I'm a psycho because I'm, a, you know, in, in a band situation, I always bring my microphone, be- mic stand because um, usually when you're on the road, it's um, they only have, like, those ones with like the three legs yeah. whereas if you're not playing guitar as a front person you want to have they're not as cool they're not as cool you want yeah. the disc right yeah exactly yeah so you can move it around I, yeah i would I even be it. as anal as like if i knew i couldn't bring that if we weren't driving and we were flying i'd be like you know messaging the booker yeah <laughs> do they have a mic stand with a disc like yeah. you know if they didn't i'd be like sad <laughs> <laughs> like this guy's a real diva. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At least I wasn't having to play with two by fours, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh my god, that's fantastic, man. We did we did do a, a show up in um in the snow last year um with my previous band um who I'm not with anymore, Smokestack Rhino. We did uh, False Creek. Okay. Um, and it was at a place called the Man Bar. It mm. uh, might have been the same place. You know, there's Probably. only really one place to play up there, yeah. you know, it's a resort really. <laughs> and um, the accommodation was awful. Oh, that was – I know. <sighs> Are they, have they still got the whole band in bunk beds in a yes. tiny little room? Probably the same oh. place you played. It stayed in 96, 97, yeah. whenever it was. Yeah. It was gross. I walked in and, you know, you were calling me a diva before, but I, I was happy to be labelled that, <laughs> you know, when I walked into that space. I was like, this is gross. Gross. Yeah, it's horrible. Mm. I, I remember that, that quite a lot when I was younger. Yeah. You'd, we did a lot of country Victoria gigs like out in Gippsland and that sort of thing where they'd provide accommodation. Yeah. But the accommodation would be one really large room above the venue you've just played at yep. full of beds where the whole band had to sleep in together. Yeah. And the engineer and my dad, you <laughs> yes, know, it was everyone. just, <laughs> like, and whoever you'd brought along with you, you yeah, know, like a, a, a mate or something that yeah. was helping out with yeah. the gear. they'd be all in there as well. Uh, Half the time you'd probably be more comfortable in your car. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember there was a lot of that. Yeah. Did but you, you just actually sort of sleep it. in the car or? Oh, no, no, no sleeping no. in the car. No, no. But the, yeah, the accommodation was pretty, pretty average. <laughs> yeah, most definitely, man. Yeah. I don't think I could do that now. <laughs> no, no. That was that was one thing um, that I, as a, you know, 30-something-year-old bloke, having to, you know, kind of slum it, you know. When you're mm. in your 20s, you don't give a shit. Yeah, exactly. You, know. you just do it. And- exactly. But here's me. I, I'm used to, um, you know, going on holiday with my wife and, mm. you know, staying in exotic places and beautiful five-star resorts and blah, yep. blah, blah. You know, save up all year and go and just spend it all in January, <laughs> you know. Um, and then here's me playing at a digi pub in, you know, Hotham 
and you're in a bunk bed and you can see, like, you know, there's still towels on the bed from the band that was there oh. last night, like that kind of thing. Like, yeah. it hasn't even been picked up at all. They just, there's no care for the band <laughs> at all. No, it's like the last thing in the totem yeah. pole. But having said that, look, the guys who actually worked there were really super nice, you know. Mm. Um, and obviously in your situation too, the guy made a bike stand yeah. for you, you know. So, you know, snow cats are, um, are usually a, a cut from a different cloth. Um, oh, that's a wild story, man. Fantastic. And so you were doing um, the shows there um, uh, as a young person and really like getting a an ed- a rock and roll education very, very young, mm. you know. Um, yeah, I did. M- most people are still at school, but you're out there like on the front lines gigging and able to put on like I remember as a – I didn't really start confidently playing and singing the and, and doing covers gigs until I was well into my 20s. And here's you. You're doing it at what's – 17, 18 years old? Yeah. Fantastic. From a teenager, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. I, I was lucky that I, I got to meet a lot of really fantastic musicians that, that kind of encouraged took, took, you took and- me under their wing. I'd, I'd go and watch their gigs yeah. and get me up to play and I'd be in awe like what you were saying before. Oh, God, how do you do that? Yeah. I was like, oh, gosh, I could never do that. But then eventually, you know, you learn. And you're like, oh, I can do that. That's it. With a bit of help. So I think knowing those people and those um, guys and girls helping me along the way, mm. I think it f- kind of fast-tracked me. Nice. Which was, yeah, yeah, really nice. When, when you get to watch and play with people that are, are better than you, it's really helpful. Oh, yeah. They really kind of help you along. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, I was interviewing Tim Henwood a few weeks ago, and and his episode has dropped. It was a, it was a few weeks ago now, and he's he mentioned a very similar thing, and that was his older brother. He played a band not with his older brother, but with his older brother's friends, mm-hmm. who were like you know in year twelve or whatever, and he's thirteen. Yeah, and so they would go out and play gigs together, and his older brother would like drive him to the gigs with all his mates, and he's a you know thirteen year old kid playing with eighteen year olds. Mm. I've got all these years of experience. And he's, like you said, getting fast-tracked into yep. the live music scene, which is fantastic, you yeah. know. Old, old mate Sizdog, my first gig outside <laughs> of school, I didn't even know the difference between a cover band and an original band. Yeah. I'm being serious. I booked a gig and I was like, oh, let's just book a gig. So we played, like, remember the Barleycorn Hotel in yes. Collingwood? Oh, yeah. yeah, I forgot about that. Remember that yeah. joint? I booked a gig there and... I, I, we were just doing covers, and that's not even a cover band venue. Yeah. That's an original band venue. <laughs> and I'm just playing, you know, Pearl Jam and Foo Fighters and Nirvana with a bunch of my friends. And I'd, I remember I even, like, invited friends down, and they were like, um, well, aren't you playing your origin, original tunes? This is an original venue. I'm like, I don't, what are you talking about? Yeah. So they could have been speaking another language. I had no <laughs> idea what they were talking about. Someone had to sit me down like, Dave, okay, so this is the cover scene, and then there's the original scene. You're going to choose what you want to they're, be in. They were very separate, weren't they? Very separate. But mm. at the time, I was like, I just want to play music, and I don't have any of my own tunes, so I'll yeah. just guess book a room and get my mates and we'll put on a gig, you know? And it's such a great way to learn. It was, it? yeah. Mm. There you go. Um, and so, how do we get from um, the 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 record and then playing and supporting um, people like Erwin Thomas and like you know playing at the the Evelyn um, quite frequently, you know, in in your your mid to late twenties? Yeah, I think with the Evelyn because I'd played there quite a lot when I had the the record deal. I got mm. to know um, the people that ran that venue quite well, and they they really loved loved me playing there. So nice. I'd you know. Whenever they could have me on the bill, I'd I'd be there, and, yeah. and then sometimes, like yourself, you asked me to play on the bill with you, and that yeah. would be the same with 
people like Erwin Thomas and some other bands like, oh, do you want to be on the bill? And yeah. so, yeah, that's kind of how that continued on. Those relationships were kind of nurtured throughout that whole time. Yeah. You just kind of kept, oh, yeah, I'll play, I'll play, da 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 Yep. Oh, that's rad, man. Yeah. Um, and during that time, um, you obviously have released music since then. Tell us about the music you've released um, since then. Yeah, I've re- released uh, my first official EP. That was back in, what year are we in now? 2019, 2016, I think yes. it was. Um, so not that long ago. Yeah. Um, was that the one with In Your Honour on it? Yeah. Yeah, nice, yep. nice. So I, I released that um, and, yeah, just just myself. Mm. Just, um, I have got some hard copies that I sell at gigs and then yep. then people can buy it online as well. Yeah, right. Uh, so it's nice like that these days. You can easily release stuff yeah. yourself without having a label. Obviously, label would be great to get it out there to the wider audience. It would but be nice, wouldn't it? But, yeah. you know, not not all of us are that lucky, you yeah. know. Yeah, at least there is that, at that least avenue. we have that avenue. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that we can release it ourselves. And um, did you tour that um, EP at all? Did you do some shows for that around that release? Just just locally. Locally, yeah. Yeah, just locally. Didn't but take it on no, the road? Nothing, yeah, nothing, no big tours or anything like that. Yeah. Um, the money thing with the tours is that, has, has always been a bit of an issue. Yeah. Cause it's my own music. I've got to pay, you know, I'm paying musicians and oh, that would that include right? travel and accommodation. So oh, touring's okay. always been a little bit yeah. difficult for me because we're not a band where we're all, you know, yeah, in it together. Right, okay. So that's always stopped me from mm. touring my own stuff yeah. properly. Oh, and I can empathise because, like, I mean, that's probably why I never really toured with the Pass Out. So that was a, a 10-year commitment that I had revolving musicians. But because mm. I never paid anyone, everyone would eventually leave because they're not getting paid. And you really have to be really passionate about original music to want to do it. Yeah. And like, well, why would I play with Davo in the Pass Outs when I could leave and just go get paid at the pub? Yeah. You know, and not pursue that. And mm. and look, I, I respect that. I do covers as well. I have done, you know, for yep. many, many years. But... um. Uh, when you are in a band where everyone is like on board, even then you're not making any coin. No, like, cause you're, you're, not. All you're just getting your own money by, into it. Yeah. You're just getting by. Yes. You know, barely uh, probably break even, even no. when everyone's pitching in. That's right. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, if you remember, um, when you did those festivals, were you getting a, a good fee at least for the festivals? Like, when you were doing the not no, really? No, terrible. Like, you'd yeah. get a couple of hundred. Bucks. Isn't that shit? Yeah. Yeah. No and then you good. got sound guy to pay, you know. Everybody, right? A few other musicians and Yeah. Yeah. Um, because yeah, the only like real coin that we saw um in that second band that I mentioned that I'm not with anymore, the Smokestack Lads, we we did a gig um up in Queensland called the Mitchell Creek Rock and Blues Festival. Oh, cool. That gig paid like three and a half grand. Wow, that's like it's, awesome. It's ridiculous. I'm like, how are we getting this much coin? Yeah. But you've got to think about it. We've got to fly ourselves up mm. there, fly ourselves back, sort out our own. I mean, they give you a comp, but it's a, it's a tent. Mm. You know what I mean? So if we were actually taking that money, because there's four of us, taking that money and spending it on the flights there and back, we probably may would have only been bringing home of maybe 1000 1500 bucks and then split it between four dudes and we're paying a sound guy. Yeah. It's just as much money as what you would be earning if you were playing a cover gig yeah. two minutes from your own house. I know. So the only reason we're able to make that band feasible is that we paid for our own flights, mm. our own acom. Uh, uh, the only thing the band really paid for was sometimes the the petrol and the, the rent-a-car, mm-hmm. you know, and that would come out of the, you know. So um, 
it is so difficult. Yeah, it's hard. You know, yeah. even when you are getting that a little bit of coin, because we're in Australia, everything's so far away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. There you go, man. Far out. And so um, I did have a little bit of a look on um, the, the YouTube today, and the first thing that came up was your performances at the Melbourne Guitar Show. All right. Yeah. yeah. Can you tell we- me about that? Um, yeah, so I, I did one show there in 2015 and then I just did one recently in August last year. Mm. And, yeah, they're really great. It's nice to be invited yeah. um, to, to one of those kinds of events and mm. playing alongside all these other amazing Musos. musicians. Yeah, It's a bit – and it can be nerve-wracking, you know. It's like, oh, you go, oh, these guitar players are so fantastic. Yeah. You know, what am I going to offer? But- yeah, right. <laughs> But it was yeah, it was really good. Well, the the one song that I did get a chance to check out was that in your honor track okay, um, yep. from your EP, and you smashed it, man! It was oh. so cool, <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, especially the solo. It's kind of that real kind of rockabilly kind of vibe to it. Does that sound right? Am I getting that wrong? No, more like the- rock and like. Classic rock and yeah, roll. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, not rockabilly. I don't know what I'm yeah. talking about. But, yeah, no, that was very, very cool, man. Um, before we finish up, I do have one question for you. I mean, we have been talking about that song, but maybe there's another song that you'd like to have featured. At the very beginning of the podcast, I always just play just a snippet of music of the artist who's being interviewed just so that the listeners have a little bit of context to um, who they've been, um, you know, enjoying in their headphones or wherever they are. Um, is there a specific track off of that um, EP that you'd like to be played? Oh uh, yeah, I reckon in, in your honor would be great. Yeah, that'd be I, I good. Like the the solo in that in that song's pretty cool. So, awesome. Yeah, All right. well, if you want to um, use I'll that one, make sure I feature the solo yeah. in the song this week. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, well, thanks so much, Nat. How can people follow you? Have you got a uh, Facebook and Instagram where they, yep. people can follow your musical career? Yeah. So the best places would um, to like follow where I'm playing would probably be my Nat Allison Facebook page mm-hmm. and my website, which is just natallison.com. Yep. There's a gigs list on there and, um, yeah, it's probably the best way. Instagram, yeah. uh, I, I kind of post on it every now and then. Every now and then. I always forget about that app. but <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're either in the Facebook world or the Instagram world. Yeah. Not many of us can, you know, dabble in both. I I really enjoy the Instagram, yeah. you know. But It's great. When I go on, it's like thinking, what am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> should be on here. But. Yeah, that's it. Well, it's probably – I probably like it more because, you know, I'm constantly looking for action figures mm. to, to buy in. <laughs> I sometimes get sick at look, looking at eBay. So I'm like, oh, what if anyone's selling anything on Instagram? Yeah. And they are, of course, because, you know, social media is basically one big marketplace now. Mm. Um, so, yeah, you've got the Instagram, the Facebook – and if you want to see Nat Allison not only doing her original stuff, but you're also out there still cutting it um, on the cover scene as well. Yeah, aren't you? doing yeah. always doing lots of gigs. Do you have any residencies at, at the moment, or is it more just like you know here and there? Kind yeah, of they're here and there these days. I yeah. used to used to do a lot of residencies, um, but yeah, they're, they're not so much anymore. I yeah. hope, hopefully, start doing after I finish the tour. Um, in mid March, hopefully, start doing a semi. We haven't, we haven't even talked about Susie. Quattro, is that the band that you play with? Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about yeah, that before okay. we finish. Oh, my God, I'm such a moron. Yeah, how did you meet her? What, tell me the story there. Um, well, I met her through Mike Chapman, who I did a lot of recording, writing and recording with. Yeah. In 2010, he he said to me, I'm, I'm doing a new record with Susie. Yeah. I'd really love you to come over to London and, and play the guitar on it. And I said, yeah, hell yeah, I'll come over. <laughs> yeah. So that's how I met her um, properly through through that week of being in the studio when we we remained fa- friends. And yeah. um, and one day she she contacted me on email and said, oh, Nat, 
she she comes out to Australian tours every two years and lately mm. probably yearly. Yeah. Um, but back in 2013, she said, Nat, I'm coming out to do this tour. It's not my own tour. Mm-hmm. I'm doing a festival tour. So she said, it doesn't pay as much as what I normally do with my theatre shows. So sure. I need to put a local band together. Can you put that together for me? Wow. So you were in charge of putting the musos together for her festival tour. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, for the Red Hot Summer Tour in 2014. So mm-hmm. put the band together. We did the tour. She loved it. Mm. Then we did one of her. She con- She's continued to use us um, uh, ever since. In Australia. Yeah. Wow. So that's been fun. We've done some shows in Canada and oh, Japan cool. and... I've done one with her, with her English band in Germany as well. So, oh, yeah, wow. it's been really fun. It's been a fun ride since then. Any um, stories from from that those touring days that you that you can remember that 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 we could get a kick out of? Yeah, I've been trying to think. Um, not really. The accommodation's much better. <laughs> you know, we stay Fantastic. in four and five star accommodation. There you, you know, go. So that, that's you good. You've it now, haven't you? You've seen the shitty <laughs> yeah. gear and now you're in the, the top line, mate. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. good. Well, um, and is there any plans for her to come back out again? Is there, is there some way, yeah, that people can um, see you perform with Susie? Yeah, she's coming out um, this year. In, awesome. So we're doing, we're starting on the 16th of Feb is our first show oh, wow. for the Red Hot Summer Tour. Cool. And that and yeah, so that tour goes for about five five weekends. Yep. Um, and then later in the year we're doing the Rock Rock the Boat cruise. Oh, as really? Well, nice. Is which that be fun. in Melbourne on the Yarra? Or, no, no where is it? It, it, the Rock the Boat cruise. Where's that? It's like one of those cruises where it goes to. Um, Vanuatu and places oh, like that. Right. No, I'm thinking um, more of an and independent one here in Melbourne. Like a hundred bands playing on there, and then they yeah. have a, like a headliner. So Susie Quattro's one of the headliners. So we're Far doing out. two shows on that boat, but we get to stay on, stay and have a little bit of a holiday as well for the week. That's going to be gig. Yeah, so have you be done good. that one before? No, no, that, no. Have I know ever, know lots of people that have have done done it. that one. Yeah, nice. So it'd be fun hanging out with other musos and that yeah. sort of thing for the week. Oh, there you go, listeners. If you want to check out Nat Ellison, you can. The cover scene, uh, the shows with Susie, um, get amongst it. <laughs> and, you know, grab that EP from 2016. What was the name of the EP? It's called This One's For You. This One's For You. Grab yeah. that as well. And that's on yeah. iTunes, obviously, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, awesome. And all the regular digital stores. <laughs> digital stores, yeah. Fantastic. Oh, thanks, Nat. It's been so great catching up with you. Thanks for having me. And, um, yeah, we'll see you on the road. Absolutely. See you later. See you soon. Ciao. And that's a wrap, Sizzlers, episode 47, all done and dusted. Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, give the podcast a share on social media. Use that hashtag, hashtag art of touring podcast on instagram and give us a follow at art of touring podcast if you'd like to get in contact with me please email me directly at art of touring podcast at gmail.com maybe you'd like to come on the show if you're a touring musician or a performer or a wrestler hit me up or send me a message on instagram at art of touring podcast or send me a message on facebook uh the art of touring 
podcast Facebook page, the likable page, as James did just this past week. You can listen to Art of Touring on Wooshka, and you can download it on iTunes. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to give the podcast a rating within the podcast app on your phone and write a short review. And stick around next week for another episode. I release these episodes every week for free. So get on in next week and have a listen to me again. Um with another guest. Now let's get into some plugs. The theme music for The Art of Turing is a song called Start a Fire by my band The Passouts, which is available to stream on Spotify or download on iTunes. You can grab the whole album by uh, The Passouts on all digital platforms. And if you'd like to grab a physical copy on either CD or vinyl, you can just go to thepassoutsband.bandcamp.com where you can get stickers, t-shirts, posters, and even skateboards. If you'd like to see me play live, the Passouts are performing this weekend at this year's Whittlesea Community Festival on Barry Road in Thomastown on the main stage on uh, Sunday the 17th of March, which I said is this weekend. Entry to the festival is free and stick around until the evening to enjoy the fireworks. I believe we are on at 3 p.m., so don't be late. That's all from me this week. Before I go, I do have a few shout-outs. Shout-out to Chris Wall, who designed the artwork for this show. You can follow him on Instagram at Mr. Wall, spelt W-A-H-L. Big thanks to my guest this week, Nat Allison. You can see her touring Australia right now with Susie Quattro um, or later in the year uh, for the Rock the Boat uh, vibe that she has going with Susie as well at the end of the year and uh, follow her on all her channels you can see her playing live uh, covers at most venues around town she's a busy girl uh, that's all from me this week thanks again for listening tune in next time for another episode of Art of Touring with a Sith dog ow 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 my ears man ow And remember, this week's podcast was brought to you by Murph and the Magic Tones, where if you don't join up with the Blues Brothers, if you just stay in the Armada room at the Holiday Inn and keep playing those terrible tunes. (laughs) It's just fun, like, putting things together, especially, like, because I have a connection with that franchise as a kid. Like, that was, like, my entry into toys. Mm. Ghostbusters. Mm. Because I missed Star Wars. I was too young. Yeah, I kind of... Uh, I think it was obviously around, but I sort of missed it too. Mm. I don't know how, but I never really got got into it. But like I loved it as a as a teenager because in '97 they did like a 20th anniversary re-release into the cinemas. Mm. I was just telling my daughters about it tonight because <laughs> they asked, which was nice. And I was saying, oh, you know, Daddy got to see Star Wars, but only on the television when he was a kid and when he was a teenager. So in '97 when it came out, it was the first time he got to see it on the big screen. And it changed my life. That was it. I was <laughs> yeah, Star like, Wars mad after like, that. Now I understand. Yeah. Now I understand what everyone's was going on about. <laughs> because if you don't sit in the cinemas, it's not the same thing. No. Maybe that's what, what, where I've gone wrong. Yeah. I've seen it in the cinemas. <laughs> you go see it in the movies. Yeah. I think they still show it sometimes, the original trilogy, sometimes, you know, where they did the Blues Brothers for years. What was it called? Um, that. The Astor Theatre? Yeah, the, the one in uh, Windsor. In Windsor, yeah. yeah. Sometimes they show, you know, old flicks mm. there. and they, they do that a lot. Mm. Mm.